1: This is a HeadGum Podcast. This is Emily, Henley,
2: and Sammy, and you're listening to Too Scary, Didn't Watch.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Too Scary, Didn't Watch, the horror movie recap podcast for those too scared to watch for themselves. I'm Emily, and I am too scared to watch scary movies. What the heck, you guys? What the freaking heck? It's just me. It's just me. And that's because it's good news, though, because it's Sammy is visiting Henley in Greenwich, Connecticut. They are together. It's wonderful. We love to know that it's happening. We love to see it. We love to think about it. We miss them here. But what better reason to not have them here than them being together with each other and guess what? I lied. I'm not alone. I was lying to you. I'm not alone. Thankfully, I'm not alone in my life because of this person as well. So it's I'm deeply blessed to be joined today and always by our very first and very best correspondent Soon to be horror spoused in Joel Jensen.
3: Hey, everybody. It's great to be back. And thank God neither Sammy nor Henley are here.
1: Oh, wowie.
3: It's time. Hostile takeover.
1: No, he's lying again. This is a really episode full of lies.
3: Nobody would be happy with that. And I am okay with that knowledge.
1: But we're happy to have you here now,
3: Joel. It's great to be here. I'm really happy to be here in my own house we're recording, <laughs> recording uh, this.
1: Yes, welcome here to your home that you live in, in our shared living room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Friday. You made us Negronis. That's right. Really, uh, we're, just, it's, we're full of good news. Um, We're going to try our darndest to not make this another record-breakingly long episode of the podcast. (laughs) We are are certainly going to try. We're going to put it to the test. But we will make no promises in this moment. Um, And I'm very excited for this week's movie. And we are going to talk about it. It will be the recap of this movie. We'll start at the timestamp included in the episode description If you want to just freaking get there, because who knows how long Joel and I are going to talk for. But first, Joel, I would like to know, did anything scary happen to you this week?
3: There's a couple things that are on my mind. One is that I feel like I'm sweating too much at night and I'm waking up in a pool of my sweating too
1: much at night. But is our bed too hot?
3: (laughs) No, I think it is actually that we have two layers of cat piss sealant on our bed. One (laughs) Is a, um, what do you call it? A, a sheet that goes under all the other sheets. A um, bed liner. Uh,
1: yeah, like a mattress, a mattress cover. A mattress
3: cover. We have an additional one of those because that is waterproof because a certain one of our cats, listeners can guess who, uh, <laughs> tends to pee on our bed. She hasn't done it in a while. She hasn't done it in a while. But we don't feel comfortable enough to take <laughs> we it off.
1: It never feels safe, no.
3: Then on top of our bed, we have another waterproof blanket.
1: Well, call it what it is, Joel. It's the, the piss, piss shield, blanket.
3: The piss blanket. The piss shield. <laughs> That lays on top of everything else and is watertight. So I think that because we have two two separate water type, watertight blankets, one on each side of us, sandwiching us, I think literally no moisture escapes. Now, I'm really glad that we're talking about it now because I've been feverishly Googling if anything I'm doing, any medication I'm taking is causing me to sweat more at night.
1: Well, how long has it been happening for you?
3: Well I'm asleep a lot Of the night So <laughs> So I don't know
1: um, No I mean like How many nights Have you noticed it
3: Probably every night
1: Since we got the piss blanket Because that's been months
3: Well I don't know <laughs> It's just been going on For some time
1: Because I've noticed it Just this week For me personally Just this week More so than normal Just this week And I think it's because It, it got It was a little bit Warmer overnight <laughs> So what once was a a good amount of layers for this week only, when the temp went up, was too much.
3: That could be it, and that is definitely combined with the fact that and the all that blanket. sweat has nowhere to go. <laughs> it's blocked in. It's it's okay, ricocheted just, back I at
1: just us. <laughs> I need listeners to know he's not wrong. This is true. We do we are sandwiched between two waterproof layers, but <laughs> but they're they're meant for bedding. One is a blanket. That's right it's and not like we just have tarps cover. we have
3: at one point put a tarp on top of the bed that yeah, is true
1: that is true uh, just a little glimpse into our world
3: yeah now there's been times where like because now this is a little observational comedy but <laughs> women tend to wash the sheets more than men um
4: god that was funny <laughs>
3: Well, I haven't taken it to a joke. It's just this is the basis, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus okay. type situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's been more than one time where I've been self-conscious and been like, oh, my God, does she know how much I'm sweating? And I, and she's like washing the sheets because I'm so vile.
1: No. Do you know why I, I want to wash the sheets? Well, I mean, because our bodies are in them and, and bodies are gross. Well,
3: another reason is because you're a woman.
1: And Well, because I'm a woman. <laughs> um, I drool on my pillow.
3: So, so why do you wash the sheets?
1: because I washed it all.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm not going to wash
1: just one pillowcase. Well, right. <laughs> so I wash the sheets.
3: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, now we're getting to the bottom of things and we're both being vulnerable with each <laughs> we
1: other. We are. And we this is how I hope we will always communicate is via a public Podcast. forum. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, it's well it's been a little bit hotter this week, Joel.
3: So maybe that's some of it, but it's uncomfortable and I I, I like always wake up in the middle of the night to pee and then when I'm sweating You
1: wake up in order to pee, you don't wake up t- having t- to pee.
3: Oh, <laughs> that's why I w- it's wet.
1: That would be so much more concerning. No, also, if you thought pee was sweat,
3: it, no, I mean, no, I wouldn't think that.
4: Yeah, good.
3: <laughs> um, no, I so I wake up in the middle of the night and I can feel how wet the bed is, and then I have to get back into. A wet bed.
1: Oh, yeah, that's unfortunate. I, I don't, don't like get it. out of bed in the middle of the night. So I feel like this is I, probably I it disgusting. It might be.
3: I'm sorry, everyone.
1: I don't think it's any grosser than any stuff we've already talked about.
3: Do you think sweat is the least gross bodily fluid?
4: Wow. I would say no. yes. Tears.
3: Hmm. Okay. But at volume?
1: Fuck, <laughs> oh, can we can't have this conversation. <laughs> oh, boy. Um
3: tears of joy are the cleanest
1: the purest mm-hmm. yes they really are um
3: so i guess that'll be my gross or my uh, scary thing and my <laughs> gross thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have to say gross thing now at the top of every episode i mean a lot of times the scary things are gross things
3: true a lot of gross things are scary and a lot of scary things are gross it's
1: uh, yeah
3: one of the i things. think it's a, it's evolutionary mm mm mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Oh well, Joel. I I don't really have a lot to to, to bring gross or scary. I mean, I I, I was going to say a scary thing this week is that I've hardly hung out with you.
3: Oh, that's very sweet.
1: It's true. I've I've hardly hung out with you all week. We've had evening things mm-hmm. separately uh, every night this week. So, and I'm at work <laughs> during the day. Yeah. So there just hasn't been much time.
3: Well, here we are, and
1: here we are, and I'm I'm really. Really pleased about that.
3: It's going to be great. We're going to have a good time. This movie, we don't. We should still address something specifically scary for you. Okay. But this movie, I, I, I'm very curious. We'll, we'll get into it.
1: Okay. I mean, I don't want to talk about cat vomit two weeks in a row, but I suppose I will. Which is that <laughs> Mabel. <laughs> okay, Mabel. We went through a scary phase with Mabel, that I didn't really talk about on the podcast because I was too uh, scared about it. Which is she got she got sick for like two weeks. And she her appetite was way down and she was losing a lot of weight and she didn't want to eat. And, and Mabel has the biggest appetite of like any cat I've ever known. And I was so freaked out. It was very scary. She's better now. She got better. Um, and her appetite is back. And her appetite like Mabel thinks Mabel has been known to eat. Um, bag of chips. Pop tarts. Uh, hot spaghetti from the pot dry
3: spaghetti
1: from from the pantry like she'll eat butter out of the but i mean i guess anybody would eat butter but she just eats a lot she'll eat anything um and she hasn't been doing that since she was sick and the other night joel made lentils delicious lentils thank you and all of a sudden we can see into the like kitchen from our living room we're sitting on the couch and mabel walks up she's up on my desk and she looks at us And then projectile vomits from like a height of, what, like three feet?
3: From a desk, yeah. Yeah,
1: from the top of the desk, projectile vomits onto the floor. Like a human, it was so, I've never seen a cat vomit this way. It was so insane. She like
3: made eye contact with us. She looked
1: right at us and then just went, (laughs) (laughs) And it was, we laughed so hard. It was so crazy. And I went in to see like, what did she just eat? And I think she ate a bunch of hot. Well, I could see it in the throw up. It was lentils. It was a bunch (laughs) of lentils, and I think she ate hot lentils from the stove, and like it burned her tongue, and so she immediately just opened her mouth and like puke slash spit them all out. Mm -hmm. It was wild.
3: It was crazy. I've never seen anything quite like it. And we own four cats.
1: And we own four cats. We've we've had cats. We've had cats each of us for twelve years. Yeah. Never seen anything like it. Yeah. Anyway, she's fine, but I think she burned her tongue.
3: I think she burned her tongue, yeah.
1: <laughs> she must have been a really wild experience for her. <laughs> Scary for her. That's what she was talking about. Be
3: so terrifying, yeah.
1: But we're all good now. The cats aren't puking. We're hanging out. Nobody's sweating. Everything's great.
3: Nobody's sweating yet. That's coming. Oh. We all know it.
1: Boy, well, on that note, let's get into this week's movie. And before you even. Before y'all even say it, no, we're not doing Saw 3, which we did consider.
3: I do think we should address that.
1: I'm addressing it right now, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm doing. Um, We didn't want to be beholden to the next seven Saw movies. I didn't want us to be beholden to the next seven Saw movies. I'll say that.
3: Yeah, I just... I think I don't want it to be every time we end up alone on this podcast, we have to talk Saw. Now, I've seen them all. Yes, you have. I have love for all of them. But the other thing is, is then I'd be under the gun to live up to the last episode, and I don't know if I can do as well, especially because Saw 3 isn't as good as Saw 2.
1: Yeah. The soul- it ranks
3: highly in the Saw, the Saw cinematic universe, I would say. It's one of the best.
1: Oh. Top half. So we're not talking about it, Joel.
3: But we're not talking about it.
1: Someday, maybe, but not today. Today, we are talking about Ravenous. That's right. Ravenous came out in 1999, directed by Antonia Bird, written by Ted Griffin, starring Guy Pierce, Robert Carlyle, Jeremy Davies, Jeffrey Jones, John Spencer, Stephen Spinella, Neil McDonough, and David Arquette.
3: Stacked cast.
1: Stacked cast. And
3: for Justified fans... <gasps> You've got Jeremy Davies and Neil McDonough.
1: And who are they in Justified?
3: Uh, Jeremy Davies plays Dickie Bennett. Dickie Bennett! And Neil McDonough plays <gasps> uh, perverted, nasty um, um, killer man.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> perverted, nasty killer man. What was his name? Ice
3: Blue Eyes. I don't remember his name they right now. They talked
1: about what if, uh, how wild he looked for so long. Yeah. He was the villain of an entire season. And, uh, and to tell you what, I can't remember what his character name was.
3: Raylan Heads, let us know in the comments.
1: No, I have to look it up because it's really going to bother me. Um, Hold on. I will get there. I will get there. I will get there. I will get there. I will get there.
4: Robert Quarles. Quarles. Quarles.
1: Anyway, cool. Fun. You don't yep. see him much or at least, you know, that's the only thing I've seen him in. <laughs> um, and Joel, you selected this movie. That's right. And did you first see it in 1999?
3: No, I first saw it Um, probably a couple years ago, maybe two years ago. Mm. Um, I remember hearing about it and I remember thinking about how scary it seemed to me probably when it came out in 1999 Uh uh, and I was too scared to watch it at the time. Um, and so it it, it was kind of just always lingering back there somewhere in like being a kid and, uh, that time of. The world?
4: <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> Strong start. But uh, I never watched it, and then, I, and then I finally got around to watching it, and it's it really blew my mind. It is Ooh. an absolutely singular movie. The tone, I'm very curious how it'll be to hear it. It might be worse than it is to watch it. Okay. It, the tone is f- f- so unique because it is really grisly really funny, really weird. The score, as any anywhere you look up a review or like a letterbox of this, almost like 95% of people will bring up how cool and unique the score is.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
3: It was scored by oh my God, I forgot their names. I tried to remember their names and I forgot. But one of them went on to found the Gorillas. He was oh. in the band Blur and he Scored it along with this other guy named Michael Nyland was the second guy, I think is his name. Um, but it's like an incredible score, incredibly strange movie. And part of that comes from
1: Damon Albarn. That's
3: right. Damon Albarn and um, Michael um, Nyland. Nyman. Nyman. Um, part of why I think it has such a strange tone is, well, also what's interesting, the guy who wrote it wrote Ocean's Eleven.
1: And now that is interesting.
3: And it was one of apparently three movies he sold in a single week. Um,
1: big week for that guy. Big week for him. What was his name? Ted something? Good week Ted for Griffin. Ted.
3: Um, so here's a bit of trivia. I was
1: gonna say, Ocean's Eleven was like probably right around 99. Probably, yeah. What was the other? What was the third? I don't know. Nobody knows. Not but so good, apparently.
3: This one was plagued by production issues. <gasps> Are we getting they into trivia? We're getting into trivia. Okay, and I well... Think are
1: we officially getting into trivia? No, you go ahead. Well, I was gonna start I was gonna start us off with trivia.
3: Hit us off with the box office.
1: I was gonna hit us off with exactly Joel. You knew exactly where it I
3: was. It was a flop.
1: Oh yes, it was. A Budget of twelve million, box office of two million. That's right. That's a ten million dollar loss.
3: They weren't ready for it.
1: No, that's really a bummer. That explains why I haven't really heard of it. It does have. A 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 46% on Metacritic, and a 6.9 on IMDb.
3: IMDb knows.
1: Uh, every, I, everybody gets a 6.9 on IMDb.
3: <laughs> I think it's a really good movie. I just okay. think that people were not ready for it. Roger Ebert gave it three stars. Out of? Four. That's a high score for Roger Ebert for something of this nature. Okay. For a weird horror movie.
1: Yeah, it's a Western horror is what Google tells me. Yes. That's fun.
3: It's a horror Western um, dark comedy.
1: It's a lot of descriptors. A
3: lot of descriptors. um, Yeah.
1: Okay, Joel, we're ready for trivia.
3: So part of why it's such a strange, ramshackle, tonal piece, which I believe it's like a fully deranged masterpiece.
1: A fully deranged masterpiece!
3: Part of why is because they went through three different directors. They started production with the first director who was a guy um who has like um he was European and he was um was. Is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like an Eastern European guy who was like uh had was an art house uh doll, like an indie filmmaking doll. He started Uh, Two weeks into production, he was fired. The studio replaced him with another director who had previously directed, like, or maybe went on to direct Big Mama's House and, like, Home Alone 3. Okay. So, big, broad comedies. Yeah. So, we went from, like, nihilistic art house director to big, broad Big Mama's House comedy. (laughs) Then the cast mutinied against that director two weeks or three weeks later because they just didn't think he was the right fit. And Robert Carlyle, who is one of the leads, was like, I think we should replace him with uh, one of my longtime collaborators, Antonia Bird. And so she came, came on when they were already in production.
1: Lord have mercy. You know, uh, it, has there ever been a successful film that had a director change over mid-production?
3: Indeed, there has. And it's called ravenous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me there, Joel. But
3: box office-wise, no.
1: You got me there. <laughs> I just mean, I, it's so crazy when studios do that because it never works.
3: Yeah, it's a crazy decision to make. It I It never works! I think from what I've gleaned in this case, they fired the first director because he was demanding more money and was adding set pieces and shots and adding budget and making sure, it... Sure, okay. And they were like, we can't keep spending money. So, we have to get this guy out of here. Otherwise, Damn. he's going to spend so much money. You're and it's bleed already us dry. a must Um So, yeah, that's a, a really fun bit of trivia, I think. And it, 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 in a way, it feels as if maybe it went through that, but it's wholly unique because of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The tone is really, truly crazy.
1: That is, uh, that is a really big task to take on a movie that has started production.
3: Yeah, it would be tough.
1: Antonia, power to you. What else has Antonia Bird done?
3: She hadn't done that many she's passed away. Aw. Um in maybe 2006 or something. She did a she did a couple movies with Robert Carlyle. One of them was called Priest, which was uh I don't really know anything about but hmm. um is I think pretty heavy. Um, okay. But she nailed it with
4: with this one. Okay.
1: Robert Carlyle. Okay. Okay. <gasps> Robert Carlyle has my same birthday. Different year.
3: Yeah. Same day. <laughs> he's the, he's so good in this. So a little bit more trivia. Please. This was John Spencer's final film. People may know him as Leo McGarry from The West Wing. Oh! It's his final film. He just decided to spend his time doing West oh, Wing.
4: He, it sounds
1: like he died. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, it was just the He died last... in
3: 2005, so he died six years after this came out.
4: Did he really?
3: Yeah. Um, next.
4: He was young.
3: Next, I'm going to chum the water a little bit. Oh. This movie was partially uh, and very loosely inspired by the Donner Party. Oh. Of 1847, and another guy called the Colorado Cannibal who uh, killed... A several people and ate them and was like oh i had to i had to Ugh. and everyone was like mm, i don't i don't ya? know if you necessarily did
1: crazy as a defense had to
3: oh i had to oh do it. It I, I wish i didn't i wish
1: I, ha- I hadn't had to but i i just did have to <laughs> um it also looks like david Heyman is in this movie
3: he produced it
1: he produced is he also in it he
3: might be and he might make an appearance i, and and I don't know in what he it. looks like okay
1: because i was like he's a producer but he's in it anyway
3: um, Let's see what else There was one other piece of trivia that I was interested in
1: What was his reason for having said he had to eat them?
3: I think he said that they attacked him And then <laughs> he was stranded In like the mountains And uh-huh. w- didn't have any food And had to resort to cannibalism Huh Um. So Well that's probably the end of the trivia For what I can figure out But so this is a movie about cannibalism
1: Got it yeah okay <laughs>
3: Um, it's a, it's a Western horror comedy cannibal movie.
1: Great. Never, never seen one of those before.
3: You never seen it. And I can't wait to get into it. This movie is so good. I've watched it a couple times this week. It's true. I, I watched him watch it. It gets better on every viewing.
1: Wow. And so was this week then your only second and third viewings of this movie? Yes. Wowie. um, do you think that we ought to watch the trailer after the recap?
3: I think we need to watch the trailer after the recap because the movie that the trailer sells is... Not the movie. Simultaneously, exactly the movie and 100% not the movie.
1: Okay, great. So we'll wait until... We will wait until the end. And And yeah. uh, if you would like to view that trailer reaction of me and Joel, maybe... F- eight hours from now who knows you can do so at our patreon patreon.com slash T S D W podcast and now i suppose it's time for you to tell me about this movie joel yes yes Joel just made me listen to some of the score, and maybe maybe you will also have just heard it, depending on if I'm able to figure out how to edit that into the episode or if we're even allowed. But it was cool.
3: Yes, but I would. Here's what I might pitch to the listeners, mm. depending on how froggy you're feeling. Is how take,
1: froggy you're feeling. Yeah. And what would you describe as feeling froggy?
3: Hmm. Now this might be another difference between men and women. <laughs>
1: Men feel froggy?
3: Guys out there, when I say if you're feeling froggy, you know what I'm talking about.
1: What are you talking about?
3: Well, a lot of time, maybe you don't, but a lot of the time, well, I took some liberty with the use of the word. That's fine. A lot of the time, if somebody's feeling froggy, somebody would say like, hey, man, if you're feeling froggy, jump. Ah! <laughs> and it basically means, hey, if you want to fight, fight. If you're going to do it, it do means it. means
1: if you want to fight.
3: If you're feeling froggy, jump.
1: If you're feeling froggy, jump means if you want to fight, fight?
3: Yeah, pretty much.
1: That's in, and men, all men know this.
3: It's similar to saying "Saying to somebody, stay frosty. That means that- be ready to fight. What? That's what it's like being a guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my uh, truly, God. Truly, no matter how much of a little bookish nerd you are, you you know these... You know this terminology. Oh, my God. And I say that as a bookish nerd. I was
1: going to say, yeah, that, I mean, I've never known you to fight.
3: If you're feeling froggy, jump.
1: That's also, like, the silliest, most poetic way to describe fighting. (laughs) Okay.
3: So, basically, like, if you're up for it. If you're up for it. If you're
1: feeling like fighting.
3: The whole uh, original soundtrack is available on YouTube as a playlist. You can Google Ravenous Soundtrack. And you'll find it. I I I recommend listening to it because I'm going to talk about how fucking hype I get over this soundtrack multiple times. Okay, And the soundtrack is so bizarre and cool that I think it will help capture the tone of this movie and why it's so singular. Okay. So it, it depends on how frosty you're trying to get.
1: What does this have to do with fighting, Joel? Uh, willingness. All right. It's great to have a male perspective every now and again.
3: And if you listen to the soundtrack, drop a frog in the comments. (laughs) Drop a frog emoji.
1: People are definitely going to do it. (laughs) Oh, what a treat. Okay, Joel, take us
3: there. Okay, here we go. Ravenous, 1999. There was a 2017 Ravenous. I don't know shit about it.
1: Is it a remake or is this just a completely no. different movie? Okay,
3: I think it's a completely different movie that I, I, I don't know anything about it. Okay. So. so not that one. 1999.
1: Nin- the year is 1999. Y2K has not happened.
3: That's true. Yeah. Now, well, okay. What were you going to say? No, I was going to go off on a tangent, but I'll save it for probably five minutes from now. Great. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Ravenous.
0: That's a hundred dollars off and less than seven dollars per bottle. So that's nakedwinescom too scary and use the code and password 2scary and grab six bottles for just thirty nine ninety nine. One last time, that's nakedwinescom too scary code and password 2scary for a hundred dollars off your first six bottles.
2: We all come home after a long day of work, and what's the first thing we do? We take off our bras because they are uncomfortable and constricting and we're just ready to get out of them by the end of the day. Well, what if I told you that Skims has changed all that? Skims has done the impossible and created an underwire bra that I actually forget that I'm wearing. I didn't think anybody could do it. You guys obviously know how much I love Skims. I have tried many of their other products. I've never been disappointed, but I, yeah, just don't normally love an underwire bra. I prefer a bralette, but I've loved everything else I've gotten so much that I thought, you know what? Why not try an underwire bra from Skims? Let's just see. And they did it. They did it, folks. They created my favorite underwire bra I've ever worn. I have the weightless scoop bra. It has this nice, like, mesh material that's supportive and comfortable, breathable, but still very sexy. And yeah, like I said, I, I do genuinely forget that I'm wearing it. And that is very rare. I, you know, I'm a broken record over here. I love skims. I love skims. I'm sorry. That's just the the cold hard truth. I will shout it from the rooftops because I want everybody to know. I want everybody to share in my joy and my comfort So shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H, plus get free shipping on orders over $75. And if you haven't yet, be sure to let them know that we sent you after you place your order, select podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.
0: Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC.
3: We start on a black screen. We hear some like um, 1800s style army music. You know the shit. Snare drums and a flute. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: Imagine being that, f- that flautist. You train your whole oh life God, and crazy. you just get blasted by a cannonball.
1: <clears throat> yeah. No, I mean. Why would you practice flute? You know no, that's the risk. You know that's right where you're going.
3: Yeah. And if I'm in the enemy soldiers, that's the first person I'm shooting.
1: Interesting tactics. <laughs> I feel like you should shoot for the general.
3: Froggy. <laughs> so <laughs> we're over black. This like, um, you know, funny pipe music is playing. And we get a couple little quotes to start us off. The first quote. He text. Mm-hmm. He that fights with monsters should look to it that he himself does not become. A monster. Mm. Friedrich Nietzsche. If you die with a cannibal sooner
1: or later, you're going to be on the menu. What was that Exactly.
3: That's Nick Cave. Nick Cave. I think about that lyric all the time. Yeah, I know you do. And then another quote appears below it. Eat me. Anonymous.
1: Anonymous.
3: We cut to an American flag flapping in the wind. And the subtitle comes up. The Mexican-American War, 1874. Okay. Soldiers are standing around a banquet table laden with cutlery and candles and napkins and plates and what have you. It's beautiful.
4: Mm.
3: Formal, very important. And we hear somebody saying, for bravery beyond duty, successfully infiltrating the enemy ranks and securing victory independently with cunning and honor. Captain John Boyd, we present you with this reward. And we cut... To Guy Ritchie mm. Is Captain John Boyd Receiving this award And he looks absolutely sick to his stomach
1: Oh, okay
3: As he's looking and getting the award The medal pinned to him We get a flashback And we see this battle In the Mexican-American War And the uh, American soldiers are being Absolutely slaughtered uh, By the Mexican soldiers It is a bloodbath, And he's walking around in a panic Mm. Just not sure what Ugh. to do. It's chaos. We come back, and um, General Slawson is sort of commending um, Boyd. This is played by John Spencer, Leo McGarry. Okay. Who's a very fancy general mm-hmm. in the U- American army. Then we cut to the banquet portion of this award ceremony. Everybody is positively housing stakes. <laughs> They're eating steaks so loud, so hard. They're actually not even technically steaks. They're beef shanks that are grilled. You should braise those.
4: (laughs) Okay.
3: There's a lot of collagen in a beef shank. You got to braise that shit out.
1: He knows. He knows.
3: So they're just absolutely chomping on these, like very heightened. You can hear the chewing, you can okay, hear the cutlery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like gristly. It's, it's supposed and,
1: to like overwhelm your senses. Yeah, like
3: dripping out of their mouths yeah. and it's very very overwhelming. But well, we're
1: about to eat human meat, so we're seeing about yeah. yeah.
3: As this is happening, uh, Captain Boyd, newly promoted Captain Boyd, I <laughs> should say, is looking again very queasy, sick to his stomach.
1: Oh, he knows. Truly panicking, something. he's like
3: stressing. He it, we all the it's like very cacophonous and suddenly all the auto cuts out. And he's just breathing, like, ooh, freaky, truly freaking. We cut to another flashback. He's just positively covered in blood. <gasps> There's the sound of explosions. Um, he's underneath something. We cut back. He looks at the stake in front of him. Gets sick to his stomach. Runs away. Pukes. Bam. Ravenous title screen.
4: Ooh, puke like a Mabel puke.
3: Uh, honestly, less dramatic. <laughs> Okay, so we get our first hit of this score And here's a deep cut For the fans This score, if you haven't listened to it already And if you have, let me know if I, this sounds right It sounds as if the band The 90s band Slint Were being played Slint? over at Church hymn. Slint yeah, Get down with it, Spiderland is a great album
1: Sometimes you say things And I, I'm like wh- What are you even talking about?
3: Slint heads Drop so a frog we'll just, in the comments spi- <laughs> Drop a spider in the comments.
1: Spider, what is it called? Spiderland. Spiderland by Slint.
3: Spiderland by Slint. So we got frogs, we got spiders in the comments. Let's see what else we can get. (laughs) (laughs) This music is so fucking sick. I can't, I really cannot over exaggerate how tight this music is. But I think you're going to try. I will. (laughs) So now we cut to a little bit later. And Slauson has Boyd with him And he's saying You're no hero, Boyd I want you far away I want you as far Whoa. away from me as possible Oh,
1: so he commended him in, the, in public But in private he's like, yeah. fuck you Okay,
3: Yeah, he wants, he's like, I want you th- to get the fuck out of here I want you as far away from everything To do with me as possible Oh shit I'm sending you to California I'm sending the you to Fort Spencer land. The Devil's Land I'm sending you to Fort Spencer which is where we end up going we're going to end up being and as he's doing this there's like people moving furniture into a room in his fort and he's like put all that shit in the biggest room and don't you dare scratch it he's a fancy guy he wants spencer his promotion spencer fancy now. guy okay and then um, boyd walks away he doesn't protest he detests himself
1: oh shit what He did walks he do? away just
3: a hollow a hollow man and we cut to our credit sequence we go through this stacked ass cast we're What's Guy at
1: Pierce most known for?
3: LA Confidential? Mm. I love Guy Pierce. Have you
1: I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything, to be completely honest. It's just really? a name I know. Yeah. Dude,
3: he's so good. I mean, it's
1: a great fucking name. Guy he's Pierce. He's one
3: of Guy Pierce, he's he does weird movies. He's one of the coolest looking people ever he looks to grace this really planet. Really cool. Yeah, he's hot, but he's beyond that. He's cool looking. He's cool looking,
1: and you know that is there are there are few people on this earth, and 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 unfortunately most of them are men. Who it, I know exactly what you mean. It's like it's hot in a cool way.
3: Yeah, born to be on a movie screen. God, he's good.
1: What's... The proposition you know, is a great a one. He has Brad Pitt quality.
3: hmm He's he, sharp.
1: He looks Brad Pitt. Oh, my God. Fucking Memento. That's what he's most known for, and I have seen him in something. It's Memento.
3: Probably. That is a good question.
1: Maybe it's somebody's um, what he's most known for, but that, I've certainly seen him in that.
3: He's so good. Memento is such a weird movie. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're over the Sierra Nevada mountains. Um, getting our, our cast list. Great cast. David Arquette, Neil McDonough, Jeremy Davies, Guy Pierce, Robert motherfucking Carlisle. Yeah. Uh, Boyd arrives at Fort Spencer with his guide. She's a native woman named Martha. She'll be around uh, as we go. This place is Fort Spencer is very dilapidated. It's f- forgotten. Very remote. It takes forever to get there. It's a very hard journey.
1: And we're, this is the 1800s.
3: This is 1874. Okay. Um, especially in the winter, it's like high up in the mountains. Mm. Uh so like pine trees, snow, mountain peaks, uh, is our setting. And this place like looks like shit. It's depressing. It's like very clearly being sent into exile.
1: Mm-hmm. On the and, wall, so to speak.
3: Sorry, what's that? Sent to the wall. Sent to the wall, so to speak, yes. A frosty place, you <laughs> might one might say. So one of the really cool things that they do, too, is so he's like looking around. There's not very many people there. And there's like always just like a cold wind sound effect.
1: I hate wind. You know, I hate wind.
3: Yeah. And it's frigid and it's always kind of around. And it kind of sometimes sounds a little bit like. Yeah. He doesn't really see anybody. He goes to his room. His room sucks. It's a cot, you know, like log cabin-y. Nothing in it, dark, candle lit. And he shuts the door and he, there's a mirror in his door and he sees his reflection, cuts to a flashback. We're back in this massacre. Mm. He, people are screaming, Captain, Sergeant Boyd, Sergeant Boyd, Sergeant Boyd, screaming his name. He's like shell shocked. He's walking around as this chaos is breaking out around him, kind of like a zombie, just doesn't know what to do, terrified out of his mind, as anybody would be. And as everybody he knows is getting shot, stabbed, Mm. blown up around him, he just sort of decides to lay down
4: Uh, on his stomach.
3: He's spattered with blood. He lays down and plays dead.
1: Oh, that's so sad. Oh, my God.
3: Yeah. And then we cut back to present day. He's now talking to the head of the fort. His name is uh, Hart. This is played by the guy from Ferris Bueller, the president for Ferris Bueller, or not president, principal from Ferris Bueller, who is a pedophile. I was going to
1: say, wasn't he convicted yeah. of pedophilia? Okay.
3: Yeah. You know, we got to address it. I don't know the best way to talk about that. We He's really good in this movie. We but don't need to talk about I it. I won't maybe. say his name.
1: It exactly. We won't say his name. And that's, what, that's how we... He's just Hart. That's he's how we a, deal you know, with big
3: it. portly guy. He's perfectly cast in these kinds of movies. Deadwood, he does the same kind of deal in Deadwood. Well, he's, he's just like a, a portly fool.
1: Is Oliphant in Deadwood? Oh, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, we got to do Deadwood next.
3: It's it, One might argue his finest hour.
1: Better than Justified? Yeah. Is he a main character? He's in every episode? Yeah. Well, we're doing it next, baby. He's
3: even surlier than Raylan Givens.
1: And western near.
3: That's right. We're doing it. I would love to. Um so we cut to this guy Hart. He's looking at a letter that came that came with Boyd and he goes war hero, huh? And um oh he goes war hero, huh? A little promotion, huh? To the California Sun.
4: Mm, of course it's ironic.
3: Deal. Um he opens his drawer, there's a bunch of walnuts inside his desk drawer. Loose? Loose. <laughs> he pulls them out, offers one to Boyd. Have a walnut, Boyd. Is what he says. Uh, he tries to crack them. He can't crack them. He's a bumbling idiot. Okay. He he walks up and he's in his office or his, you know, his office. He walks to a bookshelf and is basically like, hey, so I'm Hart. I'm in charge of this place. Um, my hobby here is I translate indigenous languages into English. It's a very tedious hobby, I'll admit. But around here, the only thing is tedium. Ugh. And he takes his, this big ass book of... Translations that he's done and he uses it to smash the walnuts, cracks them open, starts munching on the nuts. And I think it's also very important that up till this point, Boyd has not said a word.
1: Ooh, love that.
3: He's been completely silent, completely stoic. He hardly speaks for the whole movie. Cool. Um Hart says, Do you have a hobby, Boyd? And Boyd's first line of the movie is swimming. Swimming! <laughs> and Hart goes, Well, I hope you don't mind hard water. Uh, an ice joke
1: an ice <laughs> joke
3: so fort spencer it's a former spanish mission they inherited it after the um after the you know colonization of the west um it's a it, it like now it is a way station for those traveling west into california so like got it every spring thousands of people who are traveling to this california like Gold rush time yeah okay These thousands of like immigr or migrating folks from the east are passing through this exact way station to get into California. Okay, cool. But in the winter, nobody's coming because it's very harsh conditions. There's no traveling through the mountain passes in the winter. So right now, in the winter, it's a skeleton crew. There's only a couple people Mm. still here, and they're all kind of like similar to Boyd Exiles' Island of Lost Toys situation. Yep. Um, and we go through, and we he he just sort of introduces all of the folks there. We've got Private Toffler. This is Jeremy Davies, Dickie Bennett.
1: Thank you. Yep. Great. He, he's
3: our he our emissary to the Lord, and we see a shot of him like erecting a cross got on a building. It. He's their kind of like so resident good. priest. We have Major Knox, who's never met a bottle he didn't like. He's an alcoholic. He's a drunk. Mm. He's like an old Southern gentleman, like Georgia kind of. The proper kind of guy, but he's a loser drunk.
1: (laughs) That was really great accent work, Joel. That was so good. Thank you. Georgia kind of proper kind of (laughs) guy.
3: Then we've got Private Reich, who is Neil McDonough. Who is Quarles. Quarles, who's like, you know, blonde, bright blue eyes. And he's like a super soldier.
1: Iceberg eyes.
3: And we cut to a shot. Oh, when we meet Knox, we cut to a shot of him passed out in front of a fireplace with a bottle of whiskey. Then we get uh, Private Reich and we cut to a shot of Neil McDonough shirtless standing in a mountain stream with snow all over the place, like freezing cold water shirtless, just standing in it screaming.
1: You can't look like that and not be cast as the most intense man alive. And he's great at it. He's really good and at it. And
3: he's like in such good physical condition, it's crazy in this movie. Then we've got Martha and George, uh, who is the guy that brought Boyd and then her brother and Hart. It's like they're locals. They kind, of, they kind of came with the place. They're indigenous people. They've just kind of been around. And uh, then we've got Private Cleves. This is David Arquette. Ooh! We cut to a shot of him smoking a ton of weed out of a pipe with George he laughing look like David, going crazy. Cat
1: and not get cast as a guy who smokes a lot of weed.
3: Yeah. And he's their cookie. He's the cook. And then Hart's like, and then there's you Captain Boyd. And then there's me. And that makes eight of us. And you're number three in command, technically given your promo, your recent promotion. Congratulations. He's um,
1: giving me like the thing vibes.
3: Kind of. Yeah. And he's like, you know, it's, it it is what it is. We do our best, but, you know, I'd tell you not to eat uh, if you didn't all have to eat. It's Everything kind of sucks here. Ugh. Um, so now we cut to dinner. Um, Boyd, it's like they're eating, you know, a stew with meat in it. Boyd is having a hard time even choking that down. Mm. And Toffler starts offering a prayer to the group. And we Toffler's, like, very soft-spoken. He mutters. He kind of just like, dear Lord, God, we brothers... He's like very shy. Mm. Um, Cleves and George are high as shit. They're laughing. Knox is pounding whiskey. It's kind of the whole gang doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And Hart's like, hey, we have a great sense of camaraderie here at Fort Spencer. Very goofy, little silly. After dinner, Boyd walks out into the snow. It's a blizzard, kind of. It's beautiful. They're up in the Sierra Nevadas mountain range, snow everywhere, thick, fluffy and he's looking out very pensive and he has another flashback and somebody there's like a voiceover and somebody's like, so how did you get behind enemy lines? And he's like, um, I was scared. They're like, you were scared. No, 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 no. You froze and you gave up. Well, everybody in your company fought and died. Oh, how did you get behind enemy lines? Hmm. And Boyd it is like, I was, I was buried. <gasps> I played dead and they picked me up and they buried me under a pile of dead bodies.
1: Oh, Jesus.
3: My commanding officer's half shot up head was in my face.
1: Oh my God. Oh my God.
3: He was, his blood was trickling into my mouth and it was going down my throat because I had to pretend that I was dead. I couldn't choke. I, you know, I couldn't do anything. They're like, so how did you fucking capture this place? It's like, I I was laying there and something changed. I just felt something. I had to get out and I felt something in me. So I climbed out. He like digs himself out from this pile of bodies. He
4: is
1: so heavy.
3: sneaks, Sneaks around to like behind a little wall and then sneaks up to a Mexican soldier, snaps his neck takes his gun and like sneaks up behind the back of the rest of them and captures this camp. And they all like drop their arms promoted. and the army charges in the U S army charges in and they recapture the, this um, Jesus. fort.
4: And they're like, <clears throat> you know, we should shoot you for your cowardice,
3: uh, but we're going to promote you. Because basically optics, they're like this guy is seen as a hero because he single-handedly captured a fort, Ugh. but we know he's a coward. Ugh. We can either shoot him or live in exile the him. fiction, yeah, and then exile him away. And that's Boyd's story.
1: War is so horrifying.
3: It's horrifying.
1: Mm.
3: That's why guys talk like we talk, Froggy and Frost.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that's exactly right.
3: So. Now we get a. Now we have a bit of a sense of Boyd and why he's so depressed and traumatized.
4: Oy! Um.
3: So now we cut a little bit ahead. Um. The fort needs to supply up, so they send Cleves and Martha, who are kind of a romantic pair, hmm. off to like the nearest place to get supplies, which is at least a three-day ride away. Hmm. And uh, David Arquette's performance is really funny. They're like, asking him to repeat the list of what they want to get. And he, and he goes, all right. Salt, beans, meat, coffee, flour. <laughs> he's like being really goofy.
1: I love and, David Arquette. Uh, yeah,
3: he's so funny. And, the, and Hart is like, all right, three days, no drugs, no women. Martha, keep an eye on him. And it's like a little bit of a joke.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And they ride off. So now those two are gone. Cut to later. Boyd is sitting in his room looking at the medal that uh, Slosson pinned to his chest mm. and Hart walks up to his door like gently knocks on it. Hart's a good guy and is like, hey Except what- for in real life. Except for in real life. And Hart's like, hey, what's that medal for? And Boyd goes Cowardice. Oh. And Knox, or excuse me, Ugh. and uh, Hart goes, well, Knox has some really good bourbon. And he's passed out as of, he looks at his watch, one minute ago. (laughs) Knox is passed, you know, such a drunk, they can like, like clockwork, literally. He's like, do you want to have some of that bourbon? So they go and they have some drinks. Toffler is writing a hymn, trying his best. They're all kind of hanging out. The Tim, he can't figure it out. He's an idiot. But he's sweet. And there's a, a real sweetness to everybody there. Even... Reich who's a psycho soldier is like sweet and loves the people who he's with there's like camaraderie mm. there really is camaraderie here and um, they go back into, the, into um, Hart's office and they're talking a little bit more and Hart says you know we try to escape the world we come here we try to escape this place and that's the thing about escape there's always a chance you might end up someplace worse oh yeah. And right as he said this, boom, <gasps> Robert Carlyle is outside the window with a full beard looking like a ghost zombie with a crazy hat. He's just like outside the window. Uh, Guy Pierce sees him and is like, yeah, jump, jump scare. And then we run out looking for him, looking for this ghastly face we just saw. We mirror. don't know him yet. We don't know who this fucking guy is. It's the middle of winter. Nobody comes around. Oh, and this guy's no. on foot out the window. Uh, what the hell? They go look for him. They find him. He's collapsed outside the door. Half dead. Uh, they bring him in. They warm him up. Put blankets on him. Get a fire mm. going. They go to Knox. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to, to Knox, who's their like resident doctor. He was a former veterinarian. He plays doctor. He's too drunk. He can't even wake up. Ugh. Um, And they're like bathing. This guy there's a rosary on his wrist. He's like totally out of it. Um while they're bathing him boyd looks at his like they stripped him of his clothes. Boyd looks at his clothes there's like blood stains on his clothes. And uh Hart points out like oh he's been frostbitten but it doesn't like it did too much damage. Ugh. Um so he then the next day this guy has woken up. He's totally in a panic. He's like oh, how did I like where am I? like where is this place he's crying they tell him like you're at fort spencer and he can't believe he's at fort spencer and he's like "Uh, my name is fw calhoun i'm a servant of god which i think means he's a priest or preacher probably um and he's like i've And they're like how long have you been out there this goes three months three months without food and there and he was like, You should have seen me three months ago. I was 30 pounds heavier. I've survived for three months without food. And Wright goes, You said you're here, but you haven't had food for three months. And Calhoun
4: goes, I said no food. I didn't say there was nothing to eat. Woo! Do you understand? Do you understand?
3: Ah. Uh. And so we sit there for a little bit, and he's like, I suppose I should tell my story. And I'm going to read a long block of text because this it's just Please do. pretty much verbatim. Um, so, he, so he starts to tell his story.
1: Tell me his story, Joel.
3: We left in April. Six of us, including our guide, a military man, Colonel Ives. And Hart goes, mm, I don't know him. Colhoun says, Anyways, Colhoun's Scottish, by the way fun the better for you a detestable man a most disastrous guide and he basically says that uh colonel ives had an idea for a shortcut oh no and it was it went wrong and uh we worked very hard by the time of first snowfall we were still 100 miles from this place that was november we took shelter in a cave to wait but the storm didn't pass Trails became impossible. We ran out of food.
4: We ate the oxen, all the horses, even my own dog. That lasted us about a month. After that, we turned to our belts, our shoes, any roots we could dig up, but you know, there's no real nourishment in those. We remained famished.
3: He had named previously the different people, but it doesn't matter. The day Jones expired, I was out chopping wood. He died from malnourishment. And when I returned, the others were cooking his legs for dinner.
4: Would I have stopped it had I been there? I don't know. But I must say, when I stepped inside that cave, the smell of meat cooking, I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord. And then things got out of hand.
3: I ate sparingly. Others did not. The meat didn't last us a week. and We were soon hungry again. But the hunger was different.
4: More severe. Savage. Colonel Ives particularly could not be satisfied. Jonas was first to be killed, then Mr.
3: McCready. That left me, McCready's wife, and Ives. And in that company, I knew my days were numbered. I'm ashamed to say that I acted in the most cowardly manner.
1: Real theme of this movie.
3: It would have been nobler to stay and
4: protect Mrs. McCready, but I fled. And I came here. And Hart goes, they're still there?
3: Yes. Well, then we need to pack up and go. We need to go save Mrs. McCready. That's our job. And everybody's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, no, 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 no. We have to. Like, that's literally why we're here. This poor woman is with a cannibal in a cave. We have to go save her. So they all start getting ready.
1: I need everyone to know that Joel was making very intense eye contact with me throughout that whole monologue.
3: It's really good, and I'm chilled to the bone. I couldn't summarize it, you know, dude. Again, uh, fucking his performance. Mm. He's so cool in this movie. Mm. Oh my god, he's so good. Um, so they start getting ready, and then George comes into a room with Hart and Boyd. Uh, with like um. Like a deer skin with ink and drawings and stuff on it. And th- we're going to get into some otherization of indigenous peoples.
1: 1999.
3: Um, so just know that. But he unfurls this thing and it's a, a drawing of, of a person eating another person. Okay. And he goes, this is the Wendigo. Uh, and Hart is like translating for George. Mm. It's his hobby. Uh, yeah, it's his hobby. And this is the Wendigo myth. Uh, and the basics of it is if you eat a man, if one man eats another man, he takes his power. He absorbs his spirit. He absorbs his strength. Okay,
1: question. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I, there's, it's a, I don't know, urban legend, whatever, that if you are a cannibal, if you eat a, a person, it makes you go crazy. Uh-huh. Is that, is there any basis, in fact, in that? Or could humans eat humans and be just fine?
3: I think, yeah, totally be just fine. It's just me.
1: Right. That's like, that's maybe just like urban legend bullshit.
3: I think it's just urban legend, yeah. But it's like probably rooted in superstition and this kind of stuff or like vampirism.
1: I'm like very, I feel like, why do we all know that that's the case in that? Therefore, is it just that because we don't want people to eat people?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't get the big deal. You don't get the big deal? (laughs) You, you don't get the big deal. with. I was talking to you early, earlier this week. I think it would shock you how little it would take to get me to eat a person.
1: <laughs> I just, I really do wonder. I just feel like the whole w- warning is like, well, if you do that, you'll go insane. Of course
3: you wouldn't. You'd be totally normal.
1: Um. Okay. Well, I'll have to do more research. Okay. The jury's out for now.
3: So... The Wendigo myth uh, is agreeing with these urban legends. Got it. You eat somebody, you gain their strength, you gain their power, you gain their spirit mm. and it makes you stronger.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I think if you believe in the soul, right, that would make sense that yeah, there's would- like a,
3: yeah, a mystical truth to this. Um, but once you go Wendigo, hunger be- your hunger becomes craven and it becomes insatiable. Ugh. The more you Ugh. eat, the more you want, the more you need. Like sugar. Like Sugar or, shall we say, Manifest Destiny-style American colonialism. Mm. Which is, this whole movie is like a very uh, brick-through-the-window critique of that, which is one of my favorite forms of critique. I don't really care for subtlety in a critique. Sure. Hart goes, well, come on, George. People don't still do that, do they? And George goes, speaks to him in uh, his language, and Hart translates it and says, and Boyd's like, what did he say? And Hart goes, he said, well, white men eat the body of Jesus Christ every Sunday. Good point. I did always think that was weird. It is weird. You know, but there's a lot of weird shit. Yeah, we all do weird stuff. So they all head out. Um, they get guns, they get coats on, they're heading out. Calhoun's like, I'm coming with you. And Hart's like, no, 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 you don't need to come with us. It's That's too freaky for you. Like, don't do it. And he's like, no, no, there's no way you'll find it if I don't come. Like, you need me to find it and, and to get her. Like, I'll come. And so he does and they go on a mountain trek. This is going to take This is three days. Beautiful shots of them on mountainsides and these gorgeous vistas. Not shot in America, actually. It was shot in, like, Slovenia or something.
1: Uh, So many things are shot in Slovenia.
3: Um, and, you know, night one, they're camped out. It's dark. Uh, they're kind of just hanging out at a fire. Toffler is still working on his hymn. And he's, like, kind of a sweet idiot. He's, like, mumbling these words. He can't figure out a rhyme. And, uh, Calhoun hears him struggling with it. He's, like, asleep with his hat over his eyes and like solves the rhyme for toffler and toffler's like oh my gosh that's exactly right thank you it's like a very sweet little night that they have then um they keep going they're on another mountain pass and um they take a little break and um boyd goes to calhoun and he's like hey so like you said or you, so you ate these men.
4: When you ate them, did it make you f- feel stronger? Did you like feel
3: more powerful? And Calhoun is like, oh, I seem to remember a certain virility. Mm. I don't like Why when do you men ask? say virility. No, it's men should be b- banned from that. They're people. not allowed to say it. I don't think it's a word for men. No. I don't think it's a word for, frankly, anybody. No, but certainly not Because I wouldn't want a woman to describe me as a virile.
1: Here's the thing. You can't.
3: It's like calling women females.
1: You can't. Exactly. And you can't assign it to men.
3: (laughs) It's not right. So he's like, yeah, I remember that. Like, why do you ask? But before Boyd can answer, poor Toffler finds a bone and in his excitement, Topple's off the edge <gasps> of the ledge.
1: He got excited about finding a bone.
3: It was a clue for where they were going.
1: Oh, tough, are you dummy? And
3: he falls down and really hurts himself. <sighs> and Reich leaps after him. Reich is very, very brave and courageous, and leaps after him. Are two justified? They'll talk buddies.
1: about this on yeah. instead of justified.
3: And he stops. And like he, he gets him. He's he's alive, but he's hurt. He like took a, a rock. Wound to his stomach Basically so he's got like a bit Of a a a pretty bad boo-boo And so they decide to camp out for the Night uh there So we're sitting there in In camp um It's dark Uh reich is like Stitching up this wound Everybody's kind of chilling Um and then it gets later We cut to like middle of the night There's like no light you just see some silhouettes mm-hmm. in a tent and you hear a slurping sound.
4: Ew!
3: And all of a sudden um, <laughs> Toffler screams. <gasps> Everybody wakes up. They light their lamps like, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Um, and Toffler goes, what?
4: <laughs> what? <laughs> He was licking me!
3: Calhoun was licking Toffler's wound.
4: And we see
3: Toffler and he has blood on his mouth. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. What did I say? Toffler. Calhoun, yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They, like, drag him out of the tent. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And he's like, oh, fucking, I was having a nightmare. Like, I've, I've been through so much crazy shit. I, I was having a nightmare and Ew. I woke up when he screamed and I was like on him. So
1: gross. It's so
3: gross. And, he, and he's like, you know what? Like, fucking restrain me. Tie me up. Like, here's my hands. Like, restrain me. I, 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 I can't be trusted. Don't don't risk it. Like, I'm fucked up. What happened to me fucked me up. Please just tie me up. Oh, God. So they tie him up and they walk on. And as they, the next day, they're marching through the mountain pass and George turns to Boyd and he goes, when to go? Then they find the cave and Calhoun is freaking out. He's like, no, 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 no. Please don't make me go in there. Please don't make me go in there. It's it's too fucked up. It's too fucked up. He's going to kill us all. He's going to fucking kill us all. He's freaking out. He's like pulling against the ropes like they're dragging him along. He really doesn't want to go.
1: Oh, Julie, your performance is so
3: good right now. And he's, like, pleading with him, like, he'll kill you if you go in. So Hart goes to the cave entrance and he goes, Mrs. McCready, Colonel Ives. No answer. So Hart sends Reich and Boyd in. They got their guns. They're ready to go. They go into this cave. And uh, Hart, George, and Toffler will stay outside with Colquhoun, who's freaking out like cowering around a corner from the cave, like truly panicking. It's freaking Toffler out. So he's like, starts humming a hymn. And, uh, Reich and Boyd go into the cave. It's like dark, dank, but this sound design is like, all sounds like very sharp rocks and pebbles. It's like very foreboding place. And they find, a pool of blood. Mm. Reich's like, whoop. Whoop. <laughs> Some blood. I guess we're in the right place. They keep going in and they find a hole in the cave. How big? Uh, uh, let's say a two feet diameter. Okay. Enough for a man to slide down. Mm. And Reich, the courageous soldier as he is, he goes down. Mm. He finds more blood. Um, the music starts to just absolutely slap at this point. <laughs> Toffler is humming. It's like intercutting with Toffler's humming and this music. Uh, and Calhoun starts looking at Toffler and he starts breathing like.
1: <laughs> ew, ew. ew.
3: <laughs> and he's like doing this weird shit with his fingers.
1: Like, ew. <laughs>
3: and Toffler's freaking out, screaming at him like, stop it, stop it. And he's like, but Calhoun is like out of his mind at this point. And Hart is like, oh, he's like PTSD. He's like losing it. Like, try to ignore it. It's fine. Um, but it's like getting more and more intense. And Hart starts screaming, like, Boyd Calhoun, like, just get out here. Like, we we should go. And Reich is down in this pit now.
1: Oh my God. Oh my God.
3: And Boyd's like, hey, Hart wants us to go. And Reich looks up. And as he's like stepping, he steps on a shoe. He looks down. There's bones and clothes and a woman's skull. Her hair is still attached.
4: Ew!
3: Um, And he looks around a bit more and he's jump scared by a bunch of skeletons hanging upside down.
1: Mm.
3: And he it's like, oh my fucking god, holy shit. And he looks at the skeletons and he starts counting. One, (gasps) two, three, four, five, and he calls up to Boyd and he goes, Boyd, how many people did Calhoun say were in the party? Six, right? <gasps> and Boyd's like, yeah.
1: He's the guy. Oh my god, he's the guy.
3: And Boyd says, Why? And Reich looks at another skeleton and goes, Well then who's this? And there's a military uniform below the skeleton. And Reich goes, Ives. Oh Jesus Christ. It's a trap. Oh. He drops a lantern. <laughs> The the pit starts on fire. Um, the, the, wait, Calhoun, the
1: pit's on fire
3: because he drops his lantern with like oil. Oh, in it. oh, oh. And he's like it's a trap. And then we cut back to Calhoun looking at Topham going,
1: "Ew, <laughs> ew, <laughs> stop!" What Joel's doing it and it's really gross.
3: Everybody's like crazy tense now. I did trying, not like, see this coming. Boyd is trying to bring Calhoun up now, Meanwhile. Calhoun starts digging Wait, in the dirt. Boyd is trying to bring. Right. Rike up. Yeah. Calhoun is digging in the dirt like a fucking dog, like like madly digging in the dirt where he was hiding in the corner before, like cowering. Ew. He's buried something. Here.
1: Ew. He's Weapon? digging up
3: like crazy. Reich is screaming. He killed everyone. Calhoun digging. Reich. Calhoun killed everyone. Calhoun digging. Reich. Kill him. Kill him. Uh, Then uh, (laughs) Calhoun starts like goleming, pat pacing back and forth. There's like a part of him tied up still, right? No, he freed his hand. No, and he's like goleming. Like part of him is like reluctant about
1: something.
3: Another part of him is like fucking
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
3: (sighs) And he resigns to the evil side of Gollum, mm-hmm. goes back to the hole that he was digging and pulls out a big fat fucking knife.
1: Yeah, yep, yep.
3: Sprints to Hart, stabs him in the stomach, no. and just yanks it up.
1: Ew, oh, God. Oh, yeah. Guts him. Yeah.
3: George responds. He's like, oh, fuck. He grabs a tomahawk, he throws it, but Calhoun spins around. The tomahawk hits Hart in the back. Well,
1: Hart's Calhoun, already
3: dead. On his way. Calhoun pulls Hart's gun out of his Holster and shoots George George is dead Uh, Then Calhoun pulls the knife up Even further in Hart And he turns to Toffler Poor poor Toffler Raises the gun Pulls the trigger Click Mm -hmm. It's empty Mm -hmm. And Calhoun goes That's so Annoying And then he, like, lists his hands, including this big, fat, bloody knife, looks at Toffler and goes, run.
1: Oh!
3: And Toffler sprints away. Calhoun chases him. And the music, at this point, turns so goofy. <laughs> I want you to imagine... Goofy. I want you to imagine, like, in a silly, like, 1970s movie, if a bunch of, like, hillbillies... We're carrying a wagon full of chickens up a hill, and they lost control of the wagon and started rolling down the hill, and they're chasing it. That's what this <laughs> music sounds like <laughs> um, so he starts chasing him. Boyd and Wright get out of the cave, see the carnage're like, Jesus Christ, we gotta chase after them Tough. uh Reich basically forces Boyd to come with him. Boyd is truly too scared he's trying, and he's like trying to save heart but but Reich is like, he's dead. We gotta go. Yeah. So they run in. They run after them. This crazy mu- music is playing. And then they get to a like little clearing in the forest and then it, the music stops and it's silent and it's suddenly very scary again. And they're like looking around and Calhoun sees them and he just screams. Ah! And then runs away and then the crazy music starts again. ding. Ah! <laughs> it's like that kind of Whoa. shit. Um, they track... Calhoun, they find Toffler's body. He's been cut open, fully gutted, just splayed out. Very much dead. And Reich is very mad and he goes, let's go kill that bastard. They chase Calhoun to a cliff and they see him standing there, like, not hiding from them anymore. And Reich takes his gun out and shoots. By the time we cut back to where Calhoun was, he's gone. It's like, kind of supernatural.
4: Yeah,
1: he's inherited the the power of everyone he's killed.
3: Boyd's like, dude, I want to go back. I, I, I want to go back. I don't want to do this. And Reich's like, fuck you. He puts his gun to Boyd's head and is like, we're going to fucking find him. Um, then all of a sudden Calhoun jumps off of a tree, huh? surprises them both, throws his knife into Reich's gut. <gasps> Reich falls off the cliff all the way up. Uh, very high cliff. Oh, no. Bye bye, Reich.
1: Oh, man. So
3: now it's just Boyd and Calhoun.
1: He's got... Plenty enough to eat.
3: You would think. But he's insatiable. Uh,
1: he's ravenous, I might say. boy
3: gets a shot off, hits Calhoun. Shoots him.
1: Calhoun or Calhoun?
3: I guess I'm calling him both because he's Scottish and he sometimes they call him Calhoun. Okay. Sorry.
1: No, I just was curious.
3: So he shoots him. Mm. Calhoun falls down. Maybe dead. I doubt it. Except for the fact that he sits up with a big fat smile on his face, Ew. laughing his ass off. Ew. And he has Boyd cornered and he's like clearly supernatural. Yeah. of like laughing like a f- jackal or a hyena, maybe we would say. Or the Joker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of options.
3: And Boyd's like, f- I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Calhoun's dancing around him, having the Ew. time of his life, just playing with his food. Sam,
1: uh, Henley would fucking hate this. She does yeah. not like when creeps are having a good time.
3: Yeah, and Sammy would love it because he's doing like a little like... <laughs>
1: yeah, Sammy would like it. <laughs>
3: he laugh. And Boyd's like, you know what? Fuck it. He jumps off the cliff. <gasps> and lands in a tree. And in a like, tree? Yeah. Like the tree branches just like catch him a little bit, okay. but he like crashes through this tree. Oh! But he probably jumped like a hundred feet. Huh. Getting smashed around these like pine trees basically. <laughs> crashes to the ground. Lands on a steep slope, tumbles, 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 runs into Reich's body, hits it, knocks R- Reich's body with him. They both are tumbling. Oh, but now. Reich's dead. Reich's dead. Yeah. But then they fall, like basically, into another pit covered by tree branches. And poor Boyd's leg has a compound pressure. His, bo- his bone is sticking out. Ah! And Reich is dangling upside down, bleeding, eyes open. Oh. And suddenly he tries to start strangling Boyd. What? Boyd Boyd fights him off. He's dead. And Reich then is dead. Might have been a hallucination. Or
1: like a last...
3: Last gasp at something we don't know. So fucking Boyd is trapped in this pit with a dead body. His leg is severely broken. He can't walk. And Calhoun is hiking down the mountainside. Gonna look for him. Starts sniffing around, gets very close. Boyd can see him through like the branches, but Calhoun doesn't see him. And he sniffs around for a little bit and then leaves. And Boyd is stuck there and days pass. Mm
4: -hmm. Days pass. And uh,
3: the whole time Reich is there. His eyes are open, and he has a did, big Dave fucking smile did? on his face. He was out <gasps> on an on a errand.
1: Yes, okay.
3: But by this time, as these days pass, he's back at the fort now. Him and Martha returned. Um, Boyd tries to set his leg.
1: No oh, I hate in movies when people have to set their own injuries.
3: Yeah, it's Ugh. brutal, and he's not entirely successful. It's, it doesn't really work out for him. <laughs> it's too painful. He's alone. Oh, he's my God, weak. it would
1: be? so painful.
3: Yeah. Well, it would be impossible. You,
1: would, you wouldn't be able to do it. I just You'd pass you out. Yeah. And puke.
3: So he's now trapped in this pit with a dead body. His leg is fucked. It's cold.
1: Kind of he's like starving. The fucking 1800s, so your leg is fucked anyway. Like True. There's, they can't do shit for that.
3: He starts sort of like talking to Reich, being like, what should I do? What should I do? He starts eating roots. To try to, like... Oh, no. ...get by. He's cold. He takes Reich's jacket. He's like, you're dead. You don't need it. Takes his jacket. All the while, he's kind of hallucinating hearing Calhoun's laughter. This, this like, is the maniacal worst. laughter. <laughs> and Reich is still smiling. It is so funny. It's, like, the biggest... His
1: corpse is smiling.
3: Yeah. A huge smile. Yay. And what's very interesting is in this movie... When anybody's dead, their eyes are always open. Jesus. It's very unnerving. And days again are passing. And Boyd is like, Reich, what do I do? 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 I'm dying. Like, what do I do? Oh no. He starts to uh, flash at images of the Wendigo. Oh God. Pulls the knife out of mm-hmm. Rike. Says, "Oh, and when he pulls the knife out, Reich is not smiling anymore." Huh. and he goes, "You're dead. You're dead. You're safe now." And he starts with his legs, and he cuts away a chunk of flesh. And then the music hits again—a big, this. crazy music. Hit. I hate this. <laughs> Cut to later. Boyd emerges from this pit looking spick and span. Uh, virile, we might say.
1: No, we won't say that because we don't want He's wearing
3: say that. Uh, Reich's coat inside out and the inside of it is like scarlet red.
4: Mm. So, you
3: know, some nice color work here. Mm. And he walks all the way what? back to Fort Spencer on his leg. He's limping, but he's able to do it.
1: Oh, uh, the power of eating a man.
3: Some Wendigo shit. He makes it all the way back and. Um, Cleves finds him
4: back at Fort Spencer, David Arquette. Um,
3: he rests, Knox works on him. His leg is pretty much healed. Um, hard to explain why. Uh, Knox gives him some food to try to eat. It's a big piece of pork and, um, Boyd is like, throws it away, rinses his mouth out a million times with water. Um you know, starts having nightmares, he's hearing the laugh, days again pass, and he's just in hell. And he eventually is well enough that he can walk again, and he goes to Martha, and he's like, the Wendigo, how do you stop it? And she looks at him, and he's like, I didn't kill your brother. And she looks at him like, she doesn't care. And she's like, there isn't, there is no stopping the Wendigo. You know, the Wendigo only needs more and more. It never gives anything. And once you start the Wendigo, you give yourself to the Wendigo. It'll take everything and everything and everything. You have to die. Jesus. So a little bit later, Slosson arrives. General Slosson, John Spencer, <gasps> the big wig.
1: Slauson, you gonna get eaten.
3: And he's meeting with Boyd. And, and he's like, hey, man, we didn't find anything in that cave. There is no evidence that anything that you said happened, happened. But we have four missing soldiers and I need a story that's going to pass muster. So I fucking suggest that you change your story. Mm. He's obviously a man who has no scruples about changing official reports, given wow. what he did with Boyd before.
1: Opposite of Liam McGarry, to be completely honest.
3: And Boyd's like, dude, it was the Wendigo. And, um, Slauson goes, your story, this windigi," and he looks to, uh, <laughs> uh, there's this other, like, you know, bag man with him who's like, wants to correct him. And he looks at this guy and he goes, I know I mispronounced it. I'm trying to make a point.
1: <laughs> silly. <laughs> it's such a good line. Silly.
3: It's such a good little meta line. Um, and again, he's like, you just got to change your story. Like I need it. I need something better than this, man. Cause I don't it's know what else to do. They, we cut to a little bit of it, like outside of that room, everybody's kind of milling around and Martha and um, Cleves are talking and they're like, Oh, we got a new Colonel to replace Hart. And Slawson's like, yeah, we have an interim, an interim Colonel coming in, you know, just until we find a replacement, but I'd like you to meet Captain Ives. We might recognize that name. We do. In walks Calhoun. No. Looking absolutely debonair. <gasps> Clean cut, trimmed, fit, healthy and hale.
1: We're doing no background checks in the 1800s.
3: Yeah, or he was Ives originally.
1: Oh, who knows? We don't know. Who knows?
3: Um, And he's like, oh, hello. It's nice to meet you all. <gasps> And Boyd collapses. He's like, that's him. That's him. That's who killed everyone. And they're like, that's ridiculous. What are you fucking talking
1: about? Oh, no.
3: And eventually, Knox is like, well, hey, all right, man, Boyd, you say you shot him. So if you shot him, he'll have a wound. Captain Ives, would you mind, or Colonel Ives, would you mind showing us your shoulders? And Ives is like, I had my last physical like three months ago. I can't imagine uh, Major Knox wants to hear me cough. But okay. Test a little check. Yeah. But okay. He takes his shirt off and he's like very sexual about this and like kind of demure. And he first shows one shoulder, totally fine. And Slauson's like, can you show us your other shoulder? He pulls down his shirt, shows the other shoulder, completely pristine. Mm -hmm. No scars at all. And Ives just stares at Boyd like,
4: hmm. "Oh no!"
3: And Boyd is very unhappy.
1: <laughs> uh huh.
3: And he looks at Boyd and goes, "Is there a problem?"
1: Ew.
3: So Slosson and his man leave, and now we cut to Cleves and Martha are sitting in like their kitchen, and they're talking shit about Boyd. Cleves is like, "I think he's gone loco." <laughs> and perfect, they, David Arquette. Thank you. They basically believe that this is also three years after Scream, which is very interesting.
1: Scream was 96. Damn.
3: Um, But they're like talking shit on him. They suspect that he killed everyone because he's crazy. Oh, no. And Boyd walks in while they're saying this. Hears it all. There's an awkward beat. And he goes, I have to warn you. Consider yourselves warned. (laughs) Ah! And then he picks up a big knife and he goes, are you using this?
4: Oh no! Cleves is
3: like no, and he takes it. Then we cut to dinner. Ives is smoking a cool cigarette, looking awesome. He looks like basically Dracula, um, huh. like with a like mustache and goatee, and his like suaveness. Okay. Like Dracula in like a Union Army outfit. Okay. Um, and he's staring at Boyd, who's not eating, and he goes, "Oh, what, Boyd? You don't eat meat?" And Boyd says, "Only as a last resort." <laughs> And Ives goes, pity.
4: Oh, this guy's creepy. He's creepy.
3: So now, later, maybe the next day, Boyd is watching Cleves do some like chores outside the, in the fort, doing whatever. And he's watching him, and he's looking at him like Edward looks at Bella.
4: Oh, like, perfect
3: starving. Metaphor. Yeah. Once it's so fucking bad. And he has a vision of himself... Whacking him over the head, stabbing him a million times, and just eating—like literally—see shots of him eating flesh. Ugh. As David Arquette is like screaming, "No, no, no, no!" and then starts cackling, laughing. And then we cut back to this vision, and it's—he's just still like Edwarding. Yeah. Cruise. Then later, everybody's Edwarding. hanging out. Boyd is looking just starved, absolutely like miserable, uh, like wobbling on his in. feet because he just had a big meal of man and isn't giving in but he's like
1: that's all he needs it's
3: all he wants they all go to bed except for Boyd and Ives and Boyd still has his big knife and everybody's asleep Boyd goes looking for Ives to confront him and can't find him very supernatural again then all of a sudden Ives appears and he goes you know I found Reich up there At least what was left of him You didn't finish Uh. Can't blame you He was tough As any good soldier should be And uh, He kind of like then Gives this speech kind of his Real story And he basically tells Boyd like I had tuberculosis I was depressed I was coughing up like lungfuls of blood Because of my tuberculosis (laughs) I had suicidal ambitions and I was actually on the way to go into like a sanatorium where I would probably die. And, but on my way, this indigenous guide told me that a very curious story.
4: <gasps> he did it on purpose.
3: About the Wendigo. And well, I just had to try.
4: Oh.
3: <laughs> <sighs> and so I ate the guide. And he was right.
1: Oh, my God.
3: I felt much better. I, uh, I felt alive again. And so I joined up with a wagon train. And unfortunately, we got stuck. And Boyd's like, fuck you. You already told me this story. And he was like, yeah. Well, I ate five men in three months. And the tuberculosis was gone. My black thoughts, gone. I was happy and healthy and never been better.
1: Except you're a total fucking creep.
3: Did you eat the woman? Did you eat her too? And Ives goes, well, as a matter of fact. (laughs) It's like a sleazy little nasty joke. (laughs) And And he's like, you know, Boyd, what fascinates me about you is you've tasted it.
4: You felt it. And yet you resist. You know how good this can be, but you don't do it.
3: And he's like, Boyd's like, well, it's wrong. And Ives laughs at him and says, morality is the last bastion of a coward. He goes, I'm sorry. Did I offend you? Which I just want to take a slight moment to talk about the prescience, prescience, prescience. Prescience. I don't know what you're trying to say. This movie's prescient. Uh-huh in that a, it's all thematically about colonization and and white supremacy and manifest destiny uh-huh. that ultimately, the end result of this like maximalist approach to consuming to gain power over others, consuming to Regardless gain power the over the dark pits of ourselves, yeah. all it can ever redound to is, did I offend you? mm. It's like very apropos of this moment. Yeah. All these fucking cheese dick ass comedians. Cheese dick. Who are like, uh, oh, did I offend you? Ricky Gervais's new special. All these fucking like men's rights, red pill personalities, black pill personalities. All of this, all it can only ever redound to is did I offend you? And it's, it's only obfuscation of their need to consume other people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my little my little tangent. It, it's like this movie had it bang on. This is like the the cliche quote that all that we all joke about these days. Like, oh, did I offend you? This was nineteen ninety nine, doing a satire of what people were talking about in eighteen seventy four. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Well done, Joel. It's just like there's. It's just absolutely bereft of anything but consumption. That's all it is. Yeah. And all it can ever be. And that's what the point of this movie is. And eventually all you're left w- with is consumption for yeah. consumption's sake.
1: Because you can. Because it makes you feel good.
3: <sighs> so. Boyd is offended, actually. Mm. and He lashes out and he slashes at Ives with his knife and cuts his hand. And Ives holds his hand, his bleeding hand in front of Boyd and is like, I know you want it. <gasps> you can smell it, can't you? And doesn't scent just stir the memory. And he starts telling him, like, I know you want it. And I know you can remember what it feels like to feel somebody else coursing through you. Somebody brave. And I know you know what it feels like. The disappointment when it abates and when that leaves you and when you're back to yourself. Again, Andrew Tate, this is the same fucking bullshit. (sighs) And Boyd wants that fucking blood. And he thinks about it. But instead he tackles Ives and pulls an on and is about to stab him in the fucking neck. Then Martha comes out and Knox comes out and they grab Boyd and pull him off.
1: No. And Ives like he attacked
3: me. He assaulted me. I was going to the bathroom and Knox is like go have Cleves put under a go have Cleves put Boyd under arrest. Damn. But they can't find Cleves.
1: Oh no. He is nowhere to be
3: found. Martha goes looking for him. Room after room after room, he's not anywhere. She walks into the horse stable and finds that all the horses have been butchered. Oh, God. Their heads chopped off. They've been gutted. They have been absolutely...
1: But they want, they want human meat, not horse meat. Trapping them. Oh, sure. Okay, fair.
3: So Martha starts freaking out. The horses have been killed. Mm. S- truly, brutally slaughtered. So she runs to Knox. Sees him in a, in a room where he's uh, tending to Ives's wound in his hand. She runs up to the door. There's a little red ice on the outside of this door.
1: Red ice? Oh, bloody ice.
3: And she's calling to Knox like, the horses are dead. The horses are dead. And as she's out there she's telling him that the horses are dead, blood starts to drip onto her face. And she looks up, and there's Cleves, cut open, gutted, missing everything
1: <laughs> missing everything it's all gone oh no uh,
3: up on like the roof of the building
1: we didn't even get to see it happen didn't
3: even get to see it happen bye David and of course they blame Boyd and they sure. Knox runs into runs to where they have Boyd held he punches him in the face he's like that's for Cleves, and he kicks him and he's that's for my horse and um we're in bad shape, and he sends. He goes. Knox goes to Martha and is like, "Hey, one of us. Like, Ives and I've agreed. Boyd needs to go to military prison, so one of us needs to go ride to Slauson to get him to bring uh, Boyd in." And Martha's like, "Okay, I'll do it." So now it's just Knox, Boyd, and Ives. Oh no! Um, at the fort and. Ives walks in to where Boyd is being held. He's being held in a room, chained to the floor, and he punches Boyd, who's already got a bloody face, and he, like, sniffs his fingers Ew. very sexually and just licks the blood off of his fingers.
2: Ew!
3: Then we cut to Ives is chopping vegetables and making stew.
4: Mm.
3: <laughs> And Knox is walking around. He's drunk like an idiot. And, um, well, idiots aren't drunk, but he's an, uh, he's a drunken idiot. Yeah. And he can't find his sword. You know, he's like one of them Southern gentlemen who is like riding cavalry and he can't find his sword.
1: Really good. Thank
3: you. (laughs) And, um, He's like he asks Ives like have you seen it and Ives was like no I haven't seen it, <laughs> <laughs> and Knox is like hey what are you making and Ives says I'm making stew. Knox asks is there anything I can do to help? Oh God! And Ives says oh well, I'm sure you'll find a way to contribute. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Boyd is in a room kind of across the way from them and he starts hollering at Ives. Ives, how did you kill Cleves? I was with you. I was watching you. How did you do that? And Knox goes out to fucking punch Boyd. Be like, shut the fuck up. We know you did it. And as Knox exits the kitchen where they're cooking, we see a hand carrying the sword walk past past camera. Just... (gasps) So we know where the sword is. Uh-huh. And Knox walks back in and it's like, hey, how did that door get open? This other door. And he turns around and a look of surprise and recognition washes over his face. And then the sword chops his head off. And that's the end of Knox.
1: Damn.
3: Boyd is in his room. The door has been shut. And he hears heavy footsteps approaching. And he thinks, okay, they're going to fucking kill me. Here it goes. The door opens And there's Hart Pedophile man Oh Face absolutely Spackled with blood And he smiles and goes Hello, Boyd I hated doing that <laughs> <gasps> And he, we get to a little later Hart is in there with Boyd And he goes, you know <clears throat> Oh, and Ives is like I told you, Boyd, my regimen has certain curative powers. And Hart is like, you know, Boyd, does your leg hurt? It really doesn't have to. Uh... It really doesn't have to, you know. And he tells his story to Boyd. And he's like, I felt myself die. I felt my life slipping away from me. I was drowning in darkness. And then I woke up. And Ives was feeding
4: me. And it was too late to go back. And I feel terrific. Ew. This
1: is like creating little vampires. Yeah.
3: It's like cannibalism crossed with vampires. And Boyd goes, Are you going to eat me?
1: They want him to be one. And Hart says,
3: No, no, no. It's lonely being a cannibal, tough to make friends. <laughs> But yeah, we actually want to bring you into the fold. We want you to be one of He's us. It's
1: already started.
3: Mm-hmm. And he walks Boyd out to the outdoors and we see Ives is butchering Knox, like truly carving him like a side of beef. And Ives is like, hey, I want to talk to Boyd. And so he brings him out to the front of the um. Fort, and he gives this speech. And I also wrote this down because it's so good. Um, some of it's paraphrase, some of it's word for word. And he's like, come April, thousands will seek new lives right through here. Thousands of people. We want to recruit a team. Ah. And Boyd's like, you'll never get away with killing a bunch of people here. And he's like, well, the two of us, me and Jolly Old Heart never will. But two of us, you... Slawson And we'll be discriminate. We wouldn't want to break up families, certainly. Ew. And he goes, this country is seeking to be whole. Stretching out its arms and consuming all it can. And we merely follow.
4: Boyd says, not me. You know, it's not courage to resist me, Boyd. It's courage to accept me. You hunger for it. You just won't resign yourself to it. It's not so difficult, really. Acquiescence. It's easy, actually. You just give in. Boyd goes, I can't. And I goes, oh, well, then, and stabs him Ah!
3: right in the gut and again it really feels of the moment that exact speech the nature of empire
4: yeah
3: the virtue of acquiescence that somehow it's braver to accept how fucking dog shit the world is and and play that game instead of
4: Mm.
3: resisting it and how many people are making how much hay operating under that belief and, and acting as if it's noble yeah and that's I don't know a huge part of how fucking dog shit our world is is uh this idea of like romanticizing this grim realism rather than optimism and a belief in something better or or believing that
4: it's worth trying you for must something better.
3: you must eat and consume that which is around you to live. And that accepting that reality is somehow braver and bolder and more intrepid than withstaining, abstaining, withholding. Anyway, it's a really appropriate movie for the time that we live in.
1: Fucking 25 years ago. That's
3: crazy. Same as it ever was.
1: Same as it ever was.
3: So now we cut in. Uh, Hart is making stew a la Knox.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and he's surprisingly tasty because they didn't think he was going to be very good because of how much bourbon he drank.
1: Oh, but that's, you can really marinate things in alcohol.
3: Yeah. There's also a really funny line far earlier before they embark to go to the cave where Knox like pukes because he's too sick and he can't go on the mm, march. Sad. And Hart goes, oh, there's too much bourbon in his bourbon. Oh. <laughs> really funny. Um, And so they're eating Knox stew and um boyd is sitting there bleeding to death
4: Jesus. bleeding
3: out coughing up blood refusing to eat it and ives is like
1: the idea being if he did he wouldn't be dying
3: right ives says you know it's a very simple choice benjamin franklin once said eat to live don't live to eat very pleased with himself for that yeah awesome great quote Boyd is resisting it and... I disagree. Hart is being like, "This isn't this so civilized? He's just a nice guy. Eh. And Boyd is resisting and... But the question is still there. Eat or die. Eat or die. Which, again, is what everybody... All these powers are trying to force us into this one narrow canal of understanding. Eat or die. And, you know, we are all guilty of it. And Boyd... Like any of us, eats.
1: He doesn't want to die, so he eats. We've talked about this. Would you uh, like? Would you? Would it be out of your
3: control? Eating a person?
1: Just doing what it takes to survive.
3: As I've said, you think it yes. would shock you how yeah, little it I would think, take to I get me to like, eat a person.
1: You would have to just do it.
3: I think I would eat somebody so fast you would make your head spin. <laughs> <laughs> I would eat their fingers first.
1: Ew! You get nothing off that. You braise them. That's all braise bone. Braise
3: them like a beef shank.
1: No, that's all bone.
3: No, there's meat like a chicken wing. They're the chicken hey, I wings I like the body. chicken
1: wings. I don't like chicken wings.
3: Mm, you're right. You want a, You want a straight want a up flesh.
1: I want a butt. I think a butt, a butt would be butt
3: too first. fatty to eat.
1: Not all butts. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I definitely would. I would eat. I would be one of the first be best to the eat thigh? a person.
1: A lot of muscle in a thigh. Kind of well, depends the
3: board. On, uh,
1: no, that holds you up. Everybody's got muscle in the, the thigh. Tenderloin. What's the tenderloin?
3: It'd be, it's like the muscle that runs along the spine. The back.
1: Oh, the back is strong. Yeah.
3: But the but the tenderloin would be nice and tender. Tenderloin. Uh, I would eat like pecs. I would eat pec steak. <laughs> <laughs> I would eat deltoid. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And okay but this is also just I'm interested in in like in meat generally you want the muscle that's why we eat the muscle
3: well there's yeah you eat the muscle but there's different muscles that work
1: because you to don't want degrees. the fat
3: well you want the fat yeah but you don't want too much because you that's want too, too much. much but a overworked muscle is like um tougher
1: an overworked muscle like yeah. what like a calf
3: Probably a calf or a bicep would be in. Um...
1: Not my biceps are not overworked.
3: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, probably a calf would be t- pretty tough. You'd braise tough. that.
1: You'd braise that.
4: Yeah, that's a beef shank.
1: Would you braise a thigh? Maybe. Maybe not.
4: Mm, I'd have to get a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So
3: Boyd eats, and Ives goes. Bravo Ugh. We cut two. Boyd is as healthy as we've seen him in his entire movie now. He's okay. looking great. Ives is walking around the outside of the fort with a telescope. He tells us that Slosson is coming.: The telescope.: Yeah.
4: Is he this guy? He
3: Slosson is coming, and he's using a telescope to look out to see if he can locate Slosson on his approach. Okay. This is before binoculars were invented.
4: You'd
1: have to use a telescope.
3: You'd have to use a telescope. He's trying okay. to get a heads up because they're cleaning up. There's a lot of blood around this fort. A lot of craziness. Yeah. yeah. So they're cleaning up. Ives is watching for him. Boyd is chained up once more. Mm. Uh, Hart walks in with more food and is like, how are you feeling? Human and, food. F- food with humans in it. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, like, yeah.
3: Yeah. And Hart is like, how are you feeling, Boyd? And Boyd's... Says, right as rain. I'm mm-hmm. feeling good. My wound is healed. I, I, I feel great. Mm-hmm. And he, Boyd asks to get some fresh air. And Hart asks, you know, can you be trusted? And Boyd says, yes. So Hart unlocks him, Uh-oh. takes him back to his office, cracks a walnut with his bare hand. Ha! <laughs> and looks at his bookshelves and they're all empty because everybody thought he was dead and he misses his books and he starts to wax philosophical Mm. and he says, you know, I read all these books and you know, Plato, Aristotle, Eastern thinkers, indigenous thinkers, and it all philosophy boils down ultimately to the same thing. What is happiness and how do we achieve it?
4: Mm.
3: And Boyd says, no, Aristotle sought truth, not happiness.
4: Mm.
3: And Hart replies, (laughs) I spend my life seeking truth. And where did that land me? Here, at Fort Spencer.
4: This shithole. And Boyd says, you have to let me go.
3: And Hart says, Kind of gets really mad, and he's like, "It's too late. It's too late. It's all done. You just have to kill to live. You just have to kill to live." And he pulls this night out, big giant knife out of like a Raphael Ninja Turtle sai out of his desk and slams it into the desk, like blade side down. And boy's like, "You just come on. You have to let me go." And Hart says, "We're. I can't." We're not alone. Ives is here. I can't do it. And we cut back to Ives, who's up on the watchtower with his big telescope. Gee. And he sees Slawson is arriving with Martha and his bagman. And he goes, hmm, breakfast, lunch, reinforcements.
1: <laughs> Silly.
3: And we go back into Hart's office. And Hart and Boyd are kind of staring at each other. And Boyd says,
4: I'm going to kill him.
3: Like, as confident as one could say it. Mm. And Hart unlocks him. Nice. And he says to Boyd,
4: take the knife. But I have one
3: thing I need you to do. Please kill me Aww. before you go. I can't live like this anymore.
4: Aww.
3: Please kill me and please make it quick.
4: Oh, and he so sad. Yeah.
3: And he goes and he looks out the window and Boyd walks back to the dagger. It's a really cool shot. Like the dagger is in the foreground between the two of them and just holds there. And Boyd walks and plucks the dagger out of the desk, walks right up to... Heart and cuts his throat. Done fast. The old cowardly boy who we never saw kill a single person—he's doing it. Is has arrived.
1: Well, that's or the new boy
3: and heart falls to the ground, pouring blood and Ives and splashing blood against the window. And Ives sees it and he walks up to the window. They lock eyes as heart dies, and Ives is pissed. As you might imagine.
1: So he wants reinforcements.
3: Yeah. Um, so Boyd runs out before Ives gets in, grabs that sword that um, Knox was missing and that Hart used to kill him. Mm. And they f- start fighting. Boyd versus Ives. Mm. Swords, sword yeah. slices. Yeah, sword sounds. Ives runs away. Boyd can't find Ives. He starts oh, looking no. for him everywhere as he's having like hallucinations of Ives's laugh, of Ives's face. Uh, He's walking around room to room. He hears this bell ringing outside. He runs out. The bell is swinging. No Ives. He just can't tell where he is. Where the fuck is this guy? He enters this like uh, smithy room that's full of all sorts of metal shit. A bear trap. Oh no. uh, uh, Like knives, rods, wood, and has this vision of Ives with blood a, like a bloody cross painted onto his forehead. Ew. And he, like, snaps out of it. He walks out, starts ch- hunting for him throughout the fort. Keeps hearing laughter, laughter, laughter. He walks into this room that's, like, <clears throat> has, like, a fire going in it and other metal shit. And <laughs> Ives drops through the roof on him and goes, like, Yeah! And drops on, onto him through the roof. And they have this crazy fucking fight where they just... They're both like super powered at this point. Sure. So they so I'm first, picturing
1: this as the fight in the dance studio at the end of the first Twilight. Pretty much. Great.
3: So F- Ives starts. He has his big log and he just beats the fuck out of Boyd with it. Bow, bow, bow. Boyd grabs a pit a two prong pitchfork. Two prong. Which he stabs Ives with it. And I was thinking, I frankly would rather be stabbed by more tongs than two. I'd rather get a three or four. Yeah, me out. I can't understand why I feel that way but I do
1: I think it's correct
3: stabs him with a two-pronged pitchfork ow um <laughs> <laughs> then Ives has this like Raphael dagger stabs Boyd like three or four times in the gut Ooh. then Boyd falls down he picks up a fucking butcher's cleaver Chops uh, Ives in the arm with it Almost chops his arm off
1: Ew! Uh,
3: Ives kind of staggers back Boyd picks up the log And then just beats the shit out of him with this big ass log Wow they're going back and forth this log Then he jumps on Yeah they (laughs) they really do I would have just kept using the two pronger Sure Then Boyd jumps on top of him starts strangling him Strangling him strangling him uh, Ives get a hold, gets a hold of that Raphael knife again, stabs him in the back, like tsh, 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 just Ooh, brutal. Ow, ow, They're bleeding ow. all over each other; it's nasty. The music starts to get. I can't imagine crazy.
1: being in a physical fight, let alone with weapons involved.
3: Truly, me neither. I mean, I've been threatened with fights before. I know. I've never really been in one.
1: Froggy stuff, right?
3: Basically, yeah. They were less <laughs> polite. I would say, if somebody asked me if I was feeling froggy, I would consider that a courtesy. <laughs> A little giggle. The music's going fucking bonkers now, okay? It's really cool. Hit that soundtrack on YouTube. Then the whole shack collapses. Oh, no. Boyd runs away. Ives is still stuck under it. We wait a beat. Ives gets out of the shack. Starts looking for Boyd now. Where might he be? He opens this door, finds Boyd inside, slumped on the ground, bleeding out, Dying.
1: Playing dead, playing dead, playing dead. We know. Ives
3: this. has like little greedy hands as he goes ew, to he's fucking doing strangle little him. Nasty
1: breathing, breathing.
3: Yeah. Ew, ew, ew. Grabs him by the neck, pulls him up. The knife is still in Boyd's back. Mm. Ives grabs it, pulls it out, holds it to Boyd's neck, and then goes, eh, drops it.
4: Hubris. And
3: they just kind of look at each other. Like, Bleeding, like they're both—they're not covered in blood; they're coated in blood. Do you Dude, know what I mean?
1: Nasty, but they both want to eat it.
3: They both are starving. They're, they're both fuck, like, they? like really intensely, just like staring they're at each charged. other. Charged, and Boyd starts to like push back on him and pushes him <gasps> this is and pushes horny. him, and they like—it's very horny. He's like walking back. They're like holding each other's like lapel of their uh. shirts, just like st- like centimeter away from each other's face. Very tense. And Boyd pushes him back, pushes him back, pushes him back, trips him, and they fall into the bear trap that Ah! Boyd has set up.
1: Boyd set it up.
3: Excuse me. Yes, Boyd set it up. Boyd grabs Ives' head, slams it against the trigger. The bear trap shuts, trapping them both inside of it.
4: Oh, my God. And Ives goes... That was really sneaky. Uh, <laughs> is boy
1: trying to kill them both? Just let's like end this Wendigo. light?
3: The only way to end it is yeah, to he's, he's once you've gone Wendigo, himself. you have to die. He's
1: taking them all out. Wow, 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 wow.
3: And I says to him, you know, if you die first, I'm definitely
4: going to eat you yeah man we get it the question is if i die what are you gonna do uh, oh no
3: bon appetit oh! <laughs> we cut away and slosson has now arrived with martha and his bag man there's nobody around they're searching for all over this fort for somebody nobody's oh no. there Slauson walks into their little kitchen and he finds the pot of boiling stew.
1: Oh, is he going to eat it?
3: And is like, smells pretty oh, good.
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
3: he takes a ladleful and eats it. No. And he, and he goes like, mmm, he loves it.
4: Oh, God.
3: And we go back into the room with uh, Boyd and Ives in the bear trap. And like, Boyd is on top of Ives, like stomach, tummy to tummy face to face pinned by this bear trap and ives goes eat or die
4: eat or die he loves this shit eat or <sighs>
3: The longest breath you've ever heard. It
1: was, that was really long.
3: He's like exhaling the breath of a dozen people, you know, uh. I mean? it's like the final breath of everyone. And he dies. Mm. And Boyd is still alive and he's looking at him and he's in pain and he's bleeding out and he's dying and he's starving. And the music, crazy music, kicks back in, sick ass music. Mm-hmm. And Martha. She's walking around the fort looking for anybody and she peeks through a crack in the door and she sees them both locked in there together. And this look of horrified pity comes over her face Mm. and she leaves. She just turns and walks away. She doesn't open the door. She leaves them. And Boyd is in there
4: tired. And he just kind of lays his head on Ives's chest. And he closes his eyes. First person to close his eyes in the whole movie. And he dies. Oh.
3: And we cut to Martha just getting the fuck out of Dodge.
1: Yeah. Good for you, Martha. The only fucking woman in this movie who's like, "Bye."
3: bye. And then we go back in and it's like a top down shot of Boyd on top of Ives. Locked in with each other, both dead. And the camera just sort of pulls back, pulls back, pulls back.
4: And that's the end. Whoa. Okay. But so it's not over because Lawson ate.
3: That's right. Not The cycle will repeat itself and in fact be more institutionalized than ever, one might say.
4: Huh. Huh. Interesting. Ravenous. Okay. Yes. Interesting. It made
1: no money.
3: No money. It was a mega bomb.
1: Huge, huge flop.
3: But I think it is an absolute masterwork of deranged and prescient genius. Mm. It's so funny. Mm. I can. I like laughed out loud watching it. Wow. And it's grim and dark and philosophical and um, and it's just a, a really precious little gem.
1: Wow. We don't get a lot of cannibal movies. We've only done a few.
3: I think that cannibalism is still, like, taboo enough that it's uh, not a lot get made. But it isn't that dissimilar from vampire stuff. It's just, like, instead of drinking, it's eating.
1: Instead of drinking, it's eating. (laughs) So do you think... I'm just now imagining. So if a vampire bites your neck, Mm -hmm. are all the veins in your body connected enough (laughs) that they could slurp everything out through that one bite? (laughs) Is is your body, are your veins all one big Gracie straw?
3: I would... First, let me say this. I don't know. Second, (laughs) let me say this. I feel like it's like um, roads. You can get to any road from any road. So, yeah, I think you could... can can get
1: to any road from any
3: road? Yeah, you could start anywhere and get anywhere on roads. (laughs) If there's a road. So, I would say... (laughs) So, I would say, yeah, I think you could suck someone dry through one bite. All of the veins are oh, Probably, oh, well, right? Because they all go through the heart at least. That's it's one a network, big junction.
1: Right? Yeah. If you slurp hard enough, you'll get it all.
3: Yeah. It might take you a while. You might have to fight against the pulmonary system. Oh, sure. Cardiovascular system. Like the heart would fight you probably somewhat. Mm. But if you sucked hard enough, even on the smallest vein, you could get it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, well, folks, this has been a real treat for me. So maybe other people agree. And we'll and see. if they don't, don't even worry because um, Sammy and Henley will be next week. <laughs> what are the voices in this one, Joel? Are there voices?
3: There are, but I didn't do them throughout this episode. So I, I think I don't know what to do. Okay, we could play the music.
1: I will play it over this outro. If however we can.
3: long you can legally play, just Wait, play however it
1: long there. we can legally play it, we'll play it, and uh, that's just me hoping. And so, while it plays, maybe from all of us here, at Too scared and watch. Goodbye. Bon Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Too Scary Didn't Watch. If you like the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. You can follow us on social media at TSDW Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And if one episode a week just is not enough for you, head on over to patreon.com/slash TSDW Podcast to become a patron and receive all sorts of extra goodies from us, including bonus episodes, trailers reactions and more and no matter what we will see you right here next week for another episode. We love you
4: so much. Bye. That was a hit gum podcast.